I'd like you to turn to the book of Acts. Well, it's not a revelation. That should be chapter 8. That's all wrong. But it is chapter 8, I can assure you. Uh, chapter 8, and I'm just going to have a short reading from verse 1 through to verse 8. And everything I say will be related to that. Um, I think I've got the right PowerPoint. <laughs> just the wrong verses are up there. Acts chapter 8, um, verse 1 through to verse 8. Now Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Amen. When we work with the Faith Mission in the Highlands of Scotland, we lived in Inverness, and we covered an area which stretched from John O'Groats down south to Campbelltown. It's probably an area that's similar in length to Ireland, and so it's a large area, and along with that we also... um, That's a nice tune going there. (laughs) We also covered the islands and there were quite a number of islands that we went along to as well so in that work I was away from home quite a bit our three boys were quite young then and that meant that I was away so much from them so every time I went away I sort of felt an obligation to bring something home and so I always brought something back home with me and I always brought my wife something home as well and on one occasion I was out on the Western Isles on the Isle of Lewis and Harris and in a, outside the village of Barvis, and outside that village there is a studio, and there's a painter there, and he, he takes a lot of special photographs. One of the photographs he took was from a place called, I know it's a funny name, the Butt of Lewis, but it is made ahead of Lewis, and it's out on the, the coast there. And it's, it's a photograph with a difference, and we have it hanging in our living room. And... In this picture, it was taken in the summer, during the summer. But in the picture, there are storm clouds gathering. There are waves crashing over the rocks, while at the same time, the sun is shining. So it's a mixture of darkness and light in the middle of summer. And that's a picture that could well describe the book of Acts, because the power of darkness is at work alongside God's blessing. And these two elements run right throughout the book of Acts and they're also present here in this passage and the the chapters that precede it. 
Darkness is present as they stone Stephen to death. Yet God's blessing is evident through the church as they are fulfilling Christ's commission to take the gospel to Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So from a spiritual standpoint, we know that God's blessing is upon his work. But also, enemy opposition is active as well, and both are part of the same package. So as you look at this persecution and blessing here in these first eight verses, we will, hope I can work this okay, split them up into three parts. First of all, fierce persecution, first three verses. Verse 4, focused evangelism. And verse 5 to 8, we look at fruitful preaching. So first of all, fierce persecution. These apostles were not in the dark regarding persecution. As they witnessed the opposition the Lord Jesus faced during his earthly ministry, which we read throughout the Gospels. And, of course, not only what he encountered, but they also had his word to them upon this matter. And the Lord Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. So the Lord Jesus prepared them, forewarned them, forearmed them for what was going to happen ahead. So what he said about his suffering, his rejection by the Jewish leaders, his death, resurrection, and then the fulfillment of the promised Holy Spirit came to pass. Therefore, they could believe his predicted persecution. So the Lord Jesus would go to death. They would be left in a hostile environment, in a non-friendly world, as far as the gospel was concerned. Even though they were Jews, Jesus said that they would put, him, they would put them out of the synagogues, and whoever took upon themselves to kill them would count it as an act of service to God. So having been primed by their master, our Lord Jesus Christ, they were not surprised when persecution came. It began with the apostles in chapter 6 of Acts. It widened, sorry, chapter 4 and 5, and then in chapter 6, it widened to this individual person, Stephen. And we read there in verse 1 of chapter 8, At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. The time, of course, refers to Stephen's death, as in verse 2, we have reference to his burial, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now, the word devout can either mean pious men or pious Jews, though not necessarily believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are obviously horrified at what was done to Stephen as they defy the Mishnah, which was the Jewish oral law. They defy it regarding mourning, as it forbade a public display of it. They are absolutely horrified at what's going on here. 
So here we have this first persecution, this fierce persecution. And before we leave it, there are two important things to highlight. First of all, it was linked to an individual. The person who steps onto the scene at the end of chapter 7 and then at the beginning of chapter 8, it says of Saul and it says he was consenting unto the death of Stephen. So he was in full agreement with the action that was taken. More information then is given in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. In chapter 9, it says he was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. In chapter 22 and chapter 26, he testified regarding his role as a persecutor of the church. He again mentions it in Galatians chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 1. His brutality toward the Christians was fueled by hatred for the Lord Jesus as he considered him as an imposter. The apostle, the Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee, a religious man, and he truly believed that the Lord Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Therefore, he sought to oppose that message by opposing those who propagated it, and that was the Christians. So this persecution is linked to this individual. In many parts of our world, individuals and groups of individuals are driven by Satan to attack the church. Africa and Asia are home to the top ten most dangerous places to live as a Christian. Places like North Korea, Somalia, Eritrea, Afghanistan, and so on. As we think of this individual, we stand back in horror because of what he did. But we also stand in amazement because of what he became. And I think we can take encouragement from that today. That no matter what age we are, we all have our social network of friends. We all have those people who are so difficult. So difficult to witness to. We feel that we're never going to get through to them. We feel that they're never going to turn to the Lord Jesus and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. We might even have these kind of people in our families. You know, after I became a Christian, my father prayed for years for me. And he saw the way I was going. And he said to me after I became a Christian, Jim, I thought you were never going to become a believer in the Lord Jesus. And sometimes the people we're praying for the most and love the most seem to be getting worse. But it was when I was at my worst that God was speaking to me the loudest, unknown to anybody else. So take encouragement that God is still in the throne, and if God can change the Saul of Tarsus, then he can change those people that we're praying for, that we are seeking to bring into the family of God. It is faith, the old hymn says, that laughs at impossibilities, and cries, it shall be done. Therefore, we need to feed faith in our hearts with accounts of God's extravagant grace in other people's lives.
We see people for what they are. And very often, we judge them for what they are. But God sees past what people are and sees what they can become. And that's the wonderful thing about God. And I'm so glad that God seen past what I was. Seen past what I was doing. Seen past the horrible things I was involved in and saw what I could become. I think the Lord Jesus clearly saw that when he met with Matthew, who was sitting taking taxes for the Roman government. He was a traitor to his people. But the Lord Jesus could see something wonderful in that man. And what a gospel he he left for us. He could see it in that young wee man, Zacchaeus, who went along the road and climbed up into the sycamore tree. The man who was cheating other people. He could see what he could become as well. So we need to feed faith regarding what God has done in the past. Be a reader. Read books about people whose lives have been transformed. And that will encourage our hearts that God is able to answer our prayer. So this persecution was linked to an individual. But also we see the most important thing about it, it was loaded with purpose. We read in verse 1 that because of the persecution at Jerusalem, the church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. God's plan for the church was that the coming Holy Spirit would lead them to branch out into other areas. Yet up to chapter 7, the focus has been only, mainly upon the church in Jerusalem. This is where they were told to begin. But they were not told to stay there. In the light of that, this persecution had a ministry of sending the church out to fulfill the commission given in chapter 1, verse 8. So you have chapter 1, verse 8, and you turn it around. Here we have chapter 8, verse 1. When you get to chapter 11, Luke gives a report, the writer, of what happened at this time. He said, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's chapter 8 here, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So God came to his church like a mother eagle comes to a young eaglet. And to the best of my knowledge, when a young eaglet is born, the eagle will build a special nest. A special nest of twigs and branches, and that will be lined with the skin and fur of animals. And it's a nice, cozy, comfortable little nest. And then that young eaglet will grow and grow and grow until about two or three months. And it comes time when the mother realizes that that eaglet needs to get out of that nest. It's time for that eaglet to learn that it's a real eagle and that it's going to fly. And so it's time for to take the, tra- the, the young on a flying lesson. And so she will come and her whole attitude will seem to have changed. And the young eaglet cannot believe what the mother is doing. Because the mother, instead of coming with food all the time, is now coming and ripping up the nest. Taking away all the fur lining. And because the eaglet has grown so, so, so strong and so big, that the, the twigs then are pushing in against his body. So it's a very uncomfortable place that that young eaglet will get out of that nest and learn that it's a true eagle and go on to fly. And God knows how to stir the nest of his people. And God stirred the nest of the church in Jerusalem through persecution. And sometimes he comes to our lives to stir up our nest. Sometimes he makes it uncomfortable 
so that we might leave the nest that we're in simply because he has a greater plan and a greater purpose in the work of his kingdom than we are in right now. This wave of persecution came with the intent of stamping out Christianity. But instead, it had the opposite effect as it furthered its cause. We are horrified so often with the things that are happening to the church in the world today. The atrocities, carnage and devastation are awful, but that's not the whole picture. Although it seems that Satan is having a way, his way with many victories, yet there's a far bigger picture. The bigger picture is that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he is the one who received a crushing blow as the Lord Jesus made a public spectacle of him. Although he is still active and is described as like a serpent, yet what is left today is the twitching of a defeated body. The end result is settled. It will never be changed. Jesus is the victor and he wins. So here during this persecution, Satan is not in control, but God is as he uses the opposition of Satan to fulfill the purpose of his mission. And that's happened in so many times. In China in 1949, when national, the national government were defeated by the communists and 637 China inland missionaries were told to leave the country. It seemed the church in China had experienced a real setback and Satan had won a great victory. Within four years, 286 of them had been redeployed in Southeast Asia and Japan. Meanwhile, the national Christians in China, under severe persecution, began to multiply, totaling at least 30 to 40 times the number of them that were there prior to the missionaries leaving. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The more it is opposed, the more it will grow. A document written by a man, Tertullian, who comes from back to the early church days, he says, kill us, torture us, condemn us and grind us to dust. The oftener we're mowed down by you, the more we will grow. So that is a fierce persecution. But maybe we're not facing persecution to the extent that they were. We most likely do not need to meet in secret. We most likely, our lives are not in danger like believers in North Korea, Somalia or Eritrea. We're not forced to leave our homes, maybe separated from our families, have our places of worship burnt to the ground. Although that is true, yet Paul said to Timothy, all Everyone who will seek to live a life in obedience to God's word and follow God with all their hearts will suffer persecution. So today, we do sense a rise in anti-gospel attitudes in the Western world. Many young people who take their stand for the Lord Jesus Christ face the disdain of their peers. The constant battle to adopt unbiblical practices and conform to unbiblical practices. 
Many in the workplace are sidelined when promotion comes, just simply because they're a Christian, simply because they will not partake in dodgy issues or be involved in shady deals. So there is this fierce persecution. That's the longest point you will be really glad to know. First point is always the longest. Secondly, there's focused evangelism in verse 4. So as the church has been scattered, we see exactly what they're doing in this verse. But as you think about what they were doing, you also think about what they weren't doing. They didn't go and hide in the cave. They didn't start a resistance movement and seek for revenge. They just did what Jesus told them to do. As verse 4 says, Therefore, those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. According to verse 1, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem because it was still the center for the Christian community. So these people who were scattered were not the apostles. They were ordinary men and women. The the command to them was to be Jesus' witnesses. And they stayed focused upon that commission. This phrase, preaching the word, conveys a mental image like this of someone standing up and teaching God's word. But what happened here is more akin to witnessing as they went about spreading the good news about Jesus. Now, whether they understood the purpose of God behind the persecution or not, one thing they knew, they were Christians wherever they were, whatever they were doing. They were just ordinary people doing the ordinary stuff of life every day. Yet they were so aware, apart from what they were doing every day, they were so aware of the spiritual dimension in their lives. And their purpose for being here upon the earth. The early church can be summarized in that they met for worship, met for teaching, and scattered to evangelize. And they are principles that as churches in the Western world that we need to have. We meet for worship and teaching. And then through the week we are scattering to evangelize. And I think of every church... Especially in Northern Ireland, if every church had that focus, I think things would be a little, if not more, greater. That's awful bad English. But anyhow, there would be a greater difference. Kenneth Latteret was an American historian of China, Japan, and world Christianity. And this is what he said about these people who were scattered. He said, the chief agents... And the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession, but men and women who carried on their livelihood in some secular manner and spoke their faith to those they met in this natural fashion. That the expansion of the church, he said at this point, didn't depend upon the apostles, but on the grassroots, upon men and women gossiping the gospel wherever they went. I heard recently a story about a minister who was living with a congregation each week, not literally living, but just ministering among them and with them all the time. But he was living with this attitude that it was all up to him. 
that it was all down to him. So one Sunday morning he got up and he said, Under God, I am the shepherd of the flock. Shepherds don't give birth. Not just the job of one person or even a small group. It's a job of every individual believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to go around in our secular employment, in university, in college, in school, as God gives us the opportunity to stand for him and to share the good news about the Lord Jesus. One of the organizations I pray for, I try to on a regular basis, is Slavic Gospel Association. It is a work that reaches into Eastern Europe. It is a Bible teaching ministry. And they they come together into schools now and again to be taught the scriptures and then to be sent out to preach. And the UK branch have united with Australia, America, Canada, Canada and New Zealand in a special venture to take the gospel to East Russia. Over six million people live in that eastern region. Many in isolated villages which have no road access, no electricity. You know, recently our electricity went off for 24 hours. You'd thought the world had come to an end. There was no internet, no TV, no this, no cattle, no... You thought the world come in. But these people live with this, no telephone, no internet connections, no church buildings of any kind. And among the early pioneers of this work is a man called Avil Dorokov. Hope that's connected pronounce it correctly. He has traveled over five and a half thousand miles. Now I was struck with that, but I was struck with this even more. Five and a half thousand miles with his family in a ladder. I was struck with that. And that's not up the M1. To bring the gospel to villages close to the Chinese border. And sometimes we can sit in the comfort of our own home, and I'm included in that. Live in the Western world with its materialism. And if we're persecuted by anything, it's materialism. We have our gadgets, we have our fashion, and we want the best, and so we should. But how much are we focused on evangelism? Everyday evangelism Asking God to give us opportunities. Not going to be forceful so that we just erect barriers. But asking God to open hearts. To open a direct door that he might give us an opportunity to speak to others about him. These people were focused in their evangelism. I'm challenged by the words of Noel and Tricia Richards. God, you are waiting Your heart is breaking for all the people who live on this earth. Stir us to action. Fill with your passion for all the people who live on this earth. So there's fierce persecution, focused evangelism, and very quickly to finish, fruitful preaching. Now that's just what we would love, isn't it? Fruitful preaching. After speaking about the scattered group, Luke highlights one individual, Philip. He plays a prominent role in this chapter. 
He was one of the chosen men in chapter 6 to be involved in practical ministry. In chapter 21, you'll find him there recorded as Philip the Evangelist. He's given that title because of the ministry he exercises here in Samaria in relation to the Ethiopian eunuch and what he did here in Samaria. According to chapter 6, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which became apparent as he is led and directed regarding his ministry to the eunuch. We're informed through verse 5 where he went to. Philip went down to, oh please come, to Samaria, the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. Now there was a lot of, there were a lot of problems between the Jews and the Samaritans. And it's an old existing problem. It goes back to the Assyrian invasion. And the Samaritans became a mixed race of people which was so unforgivable to the true-blooded Jew. So when Philip went to Samaria, he didn't try and reconcile the differences. He just kept the focus. He just preached Jesus to the people. And at the end, and to the eunuch at the end of the chapter. And there we have the result in verse 6 and 7. Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. And no doubt evangelism was taking place as Christ was preached. But there's more to this. This is revival. This was God at work. And isn't that what we need to see? More than anything. We want to witness to people here and there, We want to tell them about the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how we would just love to see and sense and know a visitation of God. A moment of God to our communities where communities are totally changed. And that's why it's said in verse 8, And there was great joy in this city. I think of the cities that I live near, and you think of the cities that you live near. We probably couldn't write that about our cities. There was great joy in the city. But great joy in the city is connected to the fact that God came to the city. That it wasn't about Philip coming. It wasn't about the people going. It was about God sending them. It was about God going with them. And it was about God blessing his work in the midst of all the persecution, in the midst of all the opposition. And the church grew and grew and grew and grew. And certainly it would be wonderful. To see God do something like that again. There was great joy in the city. So there's persecution, there's opposition to the gospel, but alongside that, there is the blessing of God. And in the times in which we live, it's easy to be despondent, to be discouraged, and sometimes disappointed with people. But God is at work, and God is mightily at work. Maybe not as much in the Western world as he is in Asia and Africa and other places like that. But God is at work. And we need to remember that we're part of a bigger church. We're part of the global church of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so encouraging and so important to read about missionary accounts. To read of what God is doing in other lands. There is persecution, but there is great blessing.